today's reading will be taken from Isaiah 40, 12 through 26. Who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand, or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord, or instructed him as counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him, and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket, and they are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom, then, will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not tumble. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught, and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, No sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. This is God's Word. Good morning, my name is Jason, one of the ministers here. It's really good to be here this morning and welcome if you've joined us since we started and just add my welcome to Matt, who spoke earlier. We're going to pray. Do keep that page of the Bible open and as we begin to look at it together, let's bow our heads and pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the privilege of gathering here this Sunday morning uh, to come before your uh, good uh, word. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that your spirit would be our teacher, that we might revere you all the more in your greatness. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Does God know? Does God really know my situation? And if he knows, can he do anything about it? I met a woman recently called Linda. She uh, became a single mum quite suddenly. Uh, Her husband walked out on her and she found herself asking the question, uh, how am I going to find enough money to bring up my kids? And while I'm out at work, who's going to look after the kids? 
And where is God in the middle of all of this? Do you know what's going on in my life? And are you able to do anything about it? Now I wonder what your story would be if you had to put it into that little uh, section of what I've just said. What would you insert there? What is the issue in your life where you think to yourself, does God know? Can he really make a difference in my situation? We're uh, looking over these uh, last couple of weeks at the book of Isaiah, in particular uh, chapter 40, and we've seen that Israel, God's people, they have been in exile. They're away from home, away from the home that God intended for them. And we know if we've ever spent any time away from home that life away from home can be a struggle. And these people were away from home. And we are not so much away from Jerusalem like this uh, first group of people were, but we're away from the new creation, the new home that God is preparing for us. And while we're away from home, life can be a struggle. So we think globally. My sister-in-law is in Afghanistan at the moment, so every day when I turn on the news and uh, see what's going on there, I think, gosh, this world is a mess. It's, it's a struggle. We think locally as we turn on the news and hear about April Jones, I mentioned last week, that this world is in mess and struggle. We think personally, don't we, of all the ways in which we uh, let people down and get annoyed and aren't the people that we'd like to be, that life in this world is a struggle. And that's what we saw last week, that this world is deeply affected by sin. And yet, and yet, God says that he is like a Rambo shepherd. <laughs> that's what we looked at last week. God is like a Rambo shepherd who says that our future is secure. He has us under his rippling arms and will take us home. But the truth is, we doubt that. We doubt that. Because our circumstances, the struggles that we face each and every day, they seem big and in our face. And God seems small and far away. So we ask, do you really know God? Can you really make a difference? So Linda opens up her fridge and there's no food in it. She opens up her wallet and there's no money in it. Those things seem real and big and tangible to her. And God seems distant and far away. You see, because we can't see God, we doubt. And what tends to happen then, you see, is that we, we want to put our trust in things that we can see and hold and touch. And so we put our trust in friends who can cheer us up, or a place that we can go to escape the world, or organizing events at church, or the holiday that we've got coming up, or the money that's in the bank, or the food that is in our fridge. Or we say things like, God doesn't know how lonely I feel, so I'm going to, I'm going to try and combat loneliness by looking at images on the internet. Or we say, God doesn't know the stress I'm under, so I'm going to try and uh, deal with that by going to the wine bottle, something I can see and hold and touch. God can't understand my work situation, so I'm going to uh, fight the battle with my HR department. I can see them, I can touch them. But Isaiah wants to say to us today, God does know, and he can make a difference. I had a, a friend at school called um, Alex Hill, and uh, Alex and I were really good friends, and, Ale and many of us didn't have uh, uh, older brothers in the school. Alex had a big brother, his name was Emmanuel, and uh, whenever he got in trouble, 
um, it wouldn't be long before Emmanuel, like a, a scene from a Batman film, would appear out of the shadows, and uh, whoever was trying to beat him up or uh, give him sort of trouble would sort of gradually, they'd just disappear uh, into the, the distance. And sometimes there would, we'd be in the playground and someone would be starting to try and upset Alex, and, and we'd just take him to the side and we'd say, look, don't you remember, Alex, you've got a big brother. Most of us don't have that kind of privilege, but you've got a big brother. Do you remember what Emmanuel's like? Do you remember how big he is? Do you remember what his arms are like? Do you remember how he seems to have those spies in each area of the playground who can somehow know when you're in trouble, whatever happens, and suddenly there he is emerging out of the shadows? Look at his arms. And it's as if, it's as if Isaiah anticipates our doubts about whether God knows and whether we can trust him to act in our situations. And he reminds us what God is like. He says, look at his arms. Look at what he's like. We can trust him to carry us home. Well, there's an outline on the sheets that you've got uh, in front of you, and we're going to work our way uh, through that. The, the first thing you'll see at the top of there is that God is the creator of all. The creator of all. Let's read from verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales, and the hills in a balance? Do you see, he, he made the universe, and those words of uh, waters and heavens and earth that we see in uh, verse 12 remind us, in fact, of the first chapter of the Bible, that, that God made everything. We, we don't have to worry about exactly how he did it, whether it was evolution or some other way. The picture here is that God made everything. And you see how easy it was. Uh, we, we read there in verse uh, 12, that he measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. If you, if you get off the tube at Green Park and you walk from there to the Oval Cricket Ground, I don't know if you've ever done that, um, Jalen Becker, I know you live just around the corner from there, but if you, if you walk from Green Park to Oval Cricket Ground, uh, you've walked the average distance of the, the depth of the oceans. Can you believe how, how deep the oceans are? And yet God measures the length and breadth and height of the whole oceans in the hollow of his hand. You think of the, the, the latest Mars rover. It took eight and a half months and billions of dollars uh, to get from here up to Mars. And we read here in verse 12 that God marked off the heavens with the breadth of his hands. And as for the earth, well, uh, you, you see it down there at the end, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills uh, in a balance. It, it, I like to think of it a little bit like a, a model airfix kit. I don't know if you ever had an airfix kit as a, as, a, as a young child, but I used to love those little boxes, sets you got of a, a plastic model that you build and you break off all the little bits. They come in a little box like this. You break off all the little bits, put them on a table, check that you've got all the bits before you started to make this little airfix kit. And for God, as he makes all of the earth that exists, he just pulls all the bits onto a little table, checks he's got all the bits together, as he makes the world. Can God change our situation? Look at his arms. 
Can he change Linda's situation if he wants to? Absolutely. Can he keep his promise to bring us home to heaven? Absolutely. He's the creator of all. That's the first thing. The second is that he's the knower of all. Have a look down at verse 13 and 14. Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? In other words, the picture here is of a God who never needed a teacher. Uh, He never needed anyone to show him how the world uh, works. Recently I I went to Ikea and uh, I was on a mission to to get a, a bunk bed and build it. And uh, whenever I go to Ikea and buy something, I normally it's the kind of thing where I expect it to take about half an hour. It ends up taking three hours. And normally it's because there are a number of unforeseen situations that I face as I'm making this uh, thing from Ikea. And so I start to build uh, this bed. And um, before long I realize that I've used screw C instead of screw A. And uh, the whole thing needs to be taken apart again. Uh, or I realize that the instructions on the front that said... Uh, you need two people to build this bed. weren't just friendly instructions and words of advice. You really did when you've sort of got a bit up here and a bit down here. It just doesn't work. And these verses remind us that God never says, I used plan C and I should have used plan A. What am I going to do now? God never uh, thinks, I actually need someone else to hold this part of John's life up so that I can work on the other bit. He never has any unforeseen situations. There's nothing that he didn't predict. He knows how everything will pan out. And so if we have a struggle at work or at home or at church, he knows. Nothing can throw his plans for us off course. He's the knower of all. And when you put those two things together, the creator of all, the knower of all, it's quite clear that he is unique. And that's what verses 15 to 17 remind us. Have a look down. Verse 15, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine uh, dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. And here's a bit of a, a summary in verse 17. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. In the words of Sinead O'Connor, nothing compares to you. Because you see, the people of the time, they were tempted to fear the nations that were surrounding them. So God's people were thinking to themselves, how can God ever bring us back home when um, there's Babylon and we've got Tyre and Sidon around us? How how on earth is God going to bring us back home in the midst of all of this? And you see as he goes through in, in verse 15, he's just telling them, look, these nations are nothing compared to me. So, so China may be a hostile military might. New, North Korea may have its uh, nuclear arms program. There may be Middle East nations that seem to have an endless stream of terrorist groups all set against God's cause. But this picture is like a, a weigh-in of the boxing match. And when you see God on one side and the nations on the other side, it's absolutely clear there is no question who the winner will be. And in verse 16, we see that 
even the most supreme acts of religious worship don't get anywhere in terms of being fit for being uh, appropriate or fitting for him. Have a look at verse 16. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. It's saying, look, take, take the biggest forest we can find, the biggest and best forest we can find, uh, build uh, the biggest altar, burn all the trees, burn all the uh, animals that we can find on an altar to sacrifice for him, and it won't be enough. I don't know if anyone's seen uh, Notre Dame. Uh, it took 200 years to build that cathedral in honour of the living God. And does it come anywhere close to being fitting for him? No. I don't know if anyone's seen the Sistine ceiling, considered the cornerstone of Renaissance art. And of course, a wonderful picture it is, but is it anywhere near being fitting for this God who we worship? Commendable to do it. I'm not saying they should have done it, but it's like presenting the Queen with a copy of the Evening Standard. I'm thinking that that's somehow fitting for her. It's nothing compared to this God that we worship. His power in creation, his knowledge in the universe, unparalleled. He's utterly unique overall. And I want to take us now to verses 21 to 24, which which move really from character to control. If those verses we we just looked at were, were like the weigh-in before the boxing match. These verses, they're like, this is how the fight turns out. He's the ruler of all. Verse 21, do you not know? Uh, have you uh, not heard? Has it not been told for you from the beginning? Has you, have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Another picture of his creative power. And then look at verse 23. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. Think of those who were considered to be oppressors of God's people, who are considered to be oppressors of God's people in our time whether they be the the new atheists, whether they be the communist power of China that wants to oppress the Christian voice, whether it be um, radical Islam that wants to wipe out Christianity, whatever it might be, he brings them to naught. Verse 24, no sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Do they present any opposition to God's plan to bring us home to heaven? No. Like rooting up weeds, they'll be blown away. They'll be blown away. Do you see what this God is like? How do we respond? Two things. Firstly, don't look to idols. Don't look to idols. Don't accept cheap imitations of our God. Have a look at verse 18. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. Idols, remember, are just God replacements. They're things we look look um, for, for security uh, instead of God. And as I said in the beginning, often those are things that we can see and hold and touch. They might be good things, but we lean on them a little too much. And here, God is saying that, look, they're just cheap 
imitations. Do you see in verse 19, I can, I can get a statue and I can put gold on it and, and silver on it and it may look impressive, but it, it can't help me any more than I can help myself because I made it. It's nothing. It'll topple over if I don't hold it up in verse 20. And we worship a God who held the waters in the palms of his hands. The, the internet won't cure our loneliness. The, the glass of wine won't deal with our stress. The uh, HR department can't end all our worries. But this God who we worship, who holds the, the waters of the entire earth in the hollow of his hands, he is different and he has the power to, to, to act in our situations. So don't follow cheap imitations. Don't look to idols. It's a bit like uh, uh, when I try and buy a pair of jeans. Once a year, um, I, I go out and buy some clothes. Rachel insists that I, I get out and buy some new clothes, so she gives me some money. I, I go out and... Um, and I go into the first shop, it always happens like this, I go into the first shop and uh, I see a pair of jeans and I think, how on earth can they charge that much for a pair of jeans? What? They're just jeans. Don't you think, oh, maybe it's just me. And then, and then I spend the rest of the day trying to get about three pairs of jeans for the same price that they were trying to charge me for the one pair. And uh, I, 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 sometimes I'm successful, I, I put the jeans on, and after about a week, the, the jeans have got holes in them, because they're just not up to the same standard as those other jeans. I'm sure there must be another way of doing it, but that's what tends to happen uh, to me. And it's like that. We, we, tend to, we, we look to these things that we can see and hold and touch, and they end up being cheap imitations. They end up being cheap imitations. Don't look to, to idols. Instead, look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. Uh, and this is where we come to those last verses that we've had quoted a, a few times in the meeting already. Have a look at verse 25. Uh, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Now Isaiah points us to the stars because uh, for the Babylonians and for, for Israel, it was the stars that they were most likely to turn to, to, to worship. That was the thing that they were most likely to see and want to cling on to instead of clinging on to God. And so Isaiah is saying to them, set your eyes on them and see beyond them to the one who made them. Don't rely on them. Rely on him. Like C.S. Lewis used to say, don't look at the, the sunbeam and worship that. Follow its rays back to the sun, the source of its light. Look to God. He's the one who creates everything, sustains everything, controls everything. And you see, if what we've looked at is true, then like my school friend Alex Hill, we have our very own Emmanuel, a, a friend with a, a global positioning system locked in on us, who sees to the heart of every situation in ways that we cannot see and understand. And so, like my friends tried to encourage Alex to look at his arms and see what he's like, so Isaiah today wants to encourage us to look to God, look at his arms, see what he's like. He's the God who always knows and who always 
uh, make a difference. Now, none of this means that it's necessarily uh, easy. None of this means that it's necessarily easy. So, for example, I, I often am crossing a big main road with my daughter as she comes home from school, and I'm holding her hand tight, and if I don't hold her hand tight, she'll just run into the road and get run over. It's a, it's a sort of daily struggle, to be honest. And sometimes she's, she's writhing so tight, she's saying, look, this is painful, Dad, let go of my hand. And I say to her, look, look you need to trust that, that I know best in this situation. I try and turn, turn in front of her and say, look, you need to trust that in this situation I really know what is best for you. And she looks up at me, and she has this really quizzical look on her face as if to say, Dad, I know you better than that. You don't always know what's good for me. <laughs> it's just obvious that you don't, that that's not true. But you see, see this bit of Isaiah as God turning to us and saying, look, you may not understand everything that's going on, but I do. And as we look to him, there is no sin or weakness or areas in which he gets it wrong. This is the perfect God. Will we look to him and trust him? So what have we seen? That this God that we follow, he's the creator of all. And that's why um, when uh, God came to earth as a man, he could feed over 5,000 people who were hungry with five loaves and two fish. He's the knower of all. And that's why when uh, he met a woman at the well, she, she ran home and said uh, to everyone in her town, come and see this man who told me everything that I ever did. He's unique overall, which is why when God came to earth as a man, Jesus Christ, and soldiers went to arrest him, they came back quaking in their boots and said, no one has ever spoken the way that this man does. And he's the, the ruler overall, which is why when God came down to earth and he was nailed to a cross, and they put those words, King of the Jews, above his head, and they laughed and they mocked, little did they know that at that very moment... It was Jesus Christ, the King, who even kept their hearts beating. And this God says to you today, I am your Rambo Shepherd, who can and will take you home. My children um, love playing the game hide-and-seek. The problem is they haven't quite got the hide element of hide-and-seek yet. And so it normally goes like this. Um, they ask me to wait outside the room, and I'm counting uh, 17, 18, 19, 20, coming ready or not. And uh, I go into the room, and there in the center of the room is uh, my daughter with a sheet over her head. And I have to make a big play of the fact that I can't see her. So I'm looking under, is she under the rug? No, she's not. Is she over by the, the bunk bed that I finally made? No, she's not over there. Is she by the desk? No, she's not over there. And then she starts giggling and she says, Dad, I'm here, I'm right here, as if I can't see her. But you see, as soon as I'm in the room, as soon as I walk into that room, I know precisely where she is. And the picture that God has given us this morning is that no matter what our situation is, no matter what is going on in the world, whether it be the, the crisis in Afghanistan, whatever is going on locally, whether we turn on the news and whatever it is we see, whatever our struggles are personally in our personal situation, God is in the room. God knows. And just as easily as he can take the, the sheet, I can take the sheet off my daughter's head and guide her out of the room, it's just as easy for God to take us by the hand 
and lead us into his heavenly home. He will do it. He has the power. Let us trust him. Let's bow our heads and pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you for reminding us that you are the God who created the starry hosts, who holds all of the uh, waters of the earth in the hollows of his hand, who uh, weighs out uh, the mountains on the scales. And Heavenly Father, in the midst of the struggles that we see before us as a result of sin in this world, and as, the sin, as a result of the sin in our lives, we pray that we wouldn't despair and think that anything or anyone will stop you from completing your mission of taking your people home to heaven. We pray, Heavenly Father, whatever it is that we face even today, we might trust you, trust you, the God who promises to bring us home. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.